particular phrase since a global pandemic happened. And I'm listen, having such flashbacks <laughs> right now. And it's listen, been so long. I know. And listen, I'm not saying that there's any conspiracy theories out there. I'm just saying we dropped our last episode in February. A global <laughs> pandemic happened. We haven't put out any episodes. I'm not saying that this will heal it, but at least we can try. In all seriousness, though, guys, wear a mask, wash your hands. It don't make you dollars, but it does make sense. But hey, listen, we are here. <laughs> we are here to do a season premiere. It's our fifth season after a short little mini season of weird little fun nuggets we decided to jump right in and we are having a big season premiere we're doing one of the biggest artists of the new millennium that's right guys this week we're going to be ranking the albums of the one the only a group whose biggest claim to fame is that time they got beat up to number one by fucking crazy frog that's right guys we're talking about Coldplay, <coughs> the rockin' honkies. If you're uh, if you're nasty, so sorry, I had a cough there. I was doing the Super Bowl halftime show, so my voice went out. Um, anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know. <laughs> Uh, Coldplay, they're a group of guys. They formed in uni over in London uh, by four guys with regular uh, white guy names, including one of them who's literally named Guy. Uh, and they drink from the same waters of which great bands like Travis and U2 and Radiohead came from. But obviously they had their own thing. It, they helped that they had a giant hit off their first album, which took them to superstar status pretty quickly. And there's a lot of stuff that happens when you get famed. Do you get too bloated? Do you sell out? There's a lot of questions that came out through their career. But over the course of eight studio albums they changed up their sound they did a lot of things and we are going to talk about it and dissect it today uh but most importantly who's doing the talking and dissecting let me tell you first off it is our fifth season we didn't think it would go this long so there was a lot of contract renegotiations so it is with heavy heart that i have to tell you that unfortunately i am back as your host that's right i'm evan saudi i'm the host of this podcast you might know me as an editor over at pop matters you've probably seen my writing in a whole bunch of other places but i hope that you recognize me in the streets and in the tweets as the host of this oh, podcast oh my god <laughs> and if you know anything about this podcast then you know the person sitting next to me that's right the phil harvey to my chris martin that's right the one the only taryn o'reilly taryn why are you making me regret doing this <laughs> We could have just ended with 50. It would have been great. A nice rounded legacy. Oh, man. But okay, no. here we are. Here we got. I forgot podcast Evan. It's been so long since I, I talked to him. I know. Welcome back. It's so fun. Mm. But part of the contract negotiations means you get that uh, very fancy chair that you're sitting in right now. Yeah, this chair that rickets back and forth on its single axis. You requested rickets. I thought that's one of the things. Oh, okay. But most importantly, here's the thing. You and I have been doing this for a long time. You could tell he's sick of it. But more more importantly, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a guest here, and he has been someone who's been in our circle for a long time. He is a music fan and music friend. Uh, if you need to know more about him, you can check him out on his pop culture gab fest of a podcast that is Mitchcast, the founder of it, the one and the only Mitchell Harvick is in studio. Mitch! Hello! How now you I doing? I want to say this is not what I signed up for with that intro. <laughs> not for me, but before he introduced me, I know who I'm dealing with, so yes, it is what I signed up for. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, you know him. Yes, I do. I, yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. So, Mitch, you've been a fan of Coldplay for a while, though. Yeah. I mean, honestly, from the beginning, like, really. I mean, like, once they hit, like, the States with Yellow, etc. Like, from the very beginning, owned their own parachutes and 
have been was the, a, so you were able to be hyped for a rush of blood to the head. Yes, when it came actually, out. was yeah. very, very, very That's excited awesome. for a rush of blood when I came. That's out. cool. Yes. And Taryn, you mentioned how you were started. It was you were in the car, and your sisters had well, those yeah. first two albums. So I, I mean, when Parachutes came out, I was still fairly young, but I very vividly remember Yellow at the time. And then I was talking to my sisters about it, and it actually, my sister-in-law Nico was really into Coldplay at the time, Former and guest. used to drive me to dance class and. When I was just talking to her this week, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I probably put those albums on for you," and I was like, "That is why all these first couple of albums were very familiar to me, right. but like I didn't know all the words. Like it wasn't that level. Of, like like I know it. that this was in my house. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah, I could hum it totally. Um, so that was actually really fun to sort of. There were definitely some album tracks here because I obviously I was familiar with the, a lot of the singles, but there were some album tracks here where I was like, oh, this is like bringing something back for me. Like yeah. It had been like 15 years since I'd listened to it. So yeah. that was really cool. Cool. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I and then I also like, I got on board for Viva La Vida. Like, you know, when that was all happening, I, was, I, I owned that album, the physical version and love that. So yeah. yeah. Well, great. Well, listen, I'm excited to talk about Alice and rank all these things. As for always, it's not a battle so much as it is we're going to come to these things as a consensus. Like, in my mind, I have a couple bottom ones. I have a couple top ones. It can go a lot of different ways. I'm super excited to see what happens. And as we know, a good argument can change an opinion. But it's going to be about eight studio records. And it's kind of nice because their discography is pretty clean in that way. Chris mm -hmm. Martin didn't go off and do any fucking solo shit. Uh, the band is kind of together. They put out a bunch of EPs, but obviously we don't do that. There's Christmas single, Christmas lights we're not going to count because fuck christmas songs uh but most importantly <laughs> yeah, eight I albums like I know, no one does uh but the thing is so this goes all the way back to uh their more acoustic leaning debut parachutes from 2000 uh their big mainstreamy breakthrough that was a rush of blood to the head in 2002 uh their big shiny mountain of a record that is very shiny x and y of 2005 <laughs> uh their much more colorful vaguely psychedelic record viva la vida or death and all his friends from 2008 uh their day glow experiments that was milo zilodo from 2011 uh their Sad Heartbreak Breakup album Ghost Stories from 2014. Uh, their colorful psychedelic Hey, We're Gonna Top the Charts Now, A Head Full of Dreams in 2015. And their world-spanning, world-beat, exciting record that is Everyday Life from 2019. That is eight albums, that is eight slots, and guys, we're not going to waste any more of your damn time, because if you made it through the end show, oh my god, you're here in the thick of it, let me tell you. Are they always this long? I... <laughs> We're yes. at minute seven. I know. I know. I, we have a lot of info to get through. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's why they hired me as host again, the producers. Uh, so most importantly, uh, eight, eight albums, eight slots, Mitchell Harvick. I'm so glad that after all of our talking and all of these years, you're finally on the fucking podcast. I'm honestly very excited to be here. I'm actually really happy that this is going to be my first episode with you guys. Yeah. Because I think Coldplay is a band that I feel like people are fans of but aren't like really vocal about it. I don't know, they're just kind of like, there's not that fervor, so it's yeah. one of those things where it's like, I'm happy to talk about them, because mm -hmm. I feel like people aren't, like, maybe feel shy to talk about Coldplay, so I feel like I'm happy to just go all in. Well, I, I almost, and we will get deeper into this when we talk about specific albums, but I almost feel like a couple of their singles have been so omnipresent that that's sort of given them a reputation to a lot of people that isn't necessarily completely accurate. Yes, yes, like, yes, I yes, think yes, that yes. the way that they have been marketed as a whole to the masses doesn't completely reflect who they are as a band. Yes. And that is definitely 
uh, journey that I went through this week listening is I was like, oh, they have a lot more sides to them than I thought. Mm-hmm. And even though I've listened to things since, I... Never mind. We'll get to that. Yeah. Um, but hey, you're our guest, and this is your first episode, and depending on your opinions, it might be your last. But most importantly, Mitch, you are the guest. You're in the hot seat, so we're not asking for definitive rankings. We just want your nomination. Number eight, what, in your opinion, is the worst Coldplay album? So before I start, there are a few things I want to point out that I, by listening, what I realized about Coldplay that okay. was very surprising. Sure. sure. One is how short their albums are. They're like... I, they're about 45 minutes each. The longest one is X and Y with just being like a little over an hour. And like even with Everyday Life being like a like a two disc, it's still... Like 50 minutes. Yeah, yeah. it's like 46. So I, that really surprised me. So I wanted to say that, that that's one thing that really like stood out to me a lot about that. I respectfully disagree that you think these albums are short. I'm just thinking about oh. like I, there's been so many like pop artists where they like... Every album clocks in at 35 minutes. Well, see, for, I, for me, because they're more of, like, band, I wouldn't necessarily put them in, like, that pop. Okay, so, okay. So, like, for me, like, for me, like, I understand, like, you know, like, a, like a straight-up pop artist, I expect, like, the quick. But for, like, a jam band, not jam band, but, like, stadium, big band, the fact that, like, their records are really, like, for me, I felt, like, short. I thought, anyways, that really surprised me. But, so I guess I'll get into what I consider to be their worst album, and it is X and Y. Okay, Mitch, walk us through the context, the whys, and the hows. Why would you nominate that? X and Y is the Coldplay album where it felt like somebody was writing this is what they think a Coldplay album would sound like. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great way to describe that. So uh, <laughs> it's they're doing stuff. I mean, even though it's only the third album, but they're doing sounds that we had previously heard in the first two with Parachutes and Rush of Blood, so they're really similar like that. Lyrically, it was a stretch on pretty much every song. Um, I do have to say, I really like Square One, and I really like Till Kingdom Come, which is their first and last Last song song. (laughs) of the album. I think they bookend really well, but everything in between just... They could go either way. They're all very okay. I don't really think any of them are terrible, but like none of them are anything to write home about. Right. There's nothing like terrible on this record. And I remember specifically, I was, you know, formative years. I've mentioned before the first album that I played to death was the Garden State soundtrack, which Uh opens with Don't Panic off of Parachutes, Mm -hmm. which I was absolutely Mm -hmm. in love with. And so one year for Christmas, I was like, oh, I'm just going to ask for like CDs from a bunch of the artists from this. That's smart. You know, so like hear other sounds. But that was the year that X and Y came out. So that's album that I got for Christmas. And I put it on and I was like, this sucks. (laughs) And my opinion of Coldplay, honestly, truly never really recovered from that. Maybe until this week. Like, I just, you know, I I remember just putting it on and all of the songs just blend together here. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's some tempo variation, mm-hmm. but not really enough. I mean, everything's kind of within the same 20 clicks of each other. Yeah. You, you know, nothing's super driving. Nothing, they're, like, even the ballads are sort of more mid-tempo-y. And I will say, I remember a So You Think You Can Dance 
performance mm-hmm. to both Fix You and Speed of Sound, and so I sort of have... I think I know the Fix You song. I like, sort of... Right, you can kind yeah, of picture, I can picture the yeah. dance, yeah. I can, so I sort of have soft spots for those, um, and I also think, like, White Shadows is so- solid. I also, one other standout for me here is Low. I wish they do this one part in the middle where there's like a is it happening? It's like it's like fifteen seconds and then it never comes back again. And I was like, this is the most interesting thing that's happened rhythmically literally on the entire record. And it's fifteen seconds long and then they never come back to it. And I'm just like, Well, you had something here. Well, I feel like that's the whole album. It's like you have a little something here. You like it has moments. Every song has that kind of in, in the potential to be a good song. But they, they were just, like, sort of okay to let all of them be these five-minute, like, shoegazy, just wash of well, guitars. the thing and... is, is that the production on this album sucks the life out of any potential the songs had. I think it's a bad batch of songs, truth be told. And I think also lyrically, it's pretty fucking weird, too. Uh, the thing is, as we will come up, there's a lot of lyrics in the uh, across the discography about uh, their feet being off the ground, about uh, raindrops, and about birds in general. And which, a lot of teardrops. A lot of teardrops. Yeah, a lot so of sky. Yeah. A lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of like, looking yes. up and... That kind of thing. That whole thing. But the thing is, when you have your lead single be a song called Speed of Sound, and Speed of Sound is so clearly a rewrite of Clocks, like, and not even a good rewrite of Clocks, it is like virtually the same fucking song. And that's why it's it's the whole, this is what somebody thought a Coldplay would like sound Mm -hmm. like and do. And this is one of the reasons why, again, like X and Y is, I think, the reason why Coldplay does get a bad rap, and they are kind of stuck in that... Area, realm that, of that realm. safe soft rock. Well, safe, so yeah. And after this came out, that's when the New York Times did their article about uh, Coldplay being the most insufferable band of all time. Well, also, this is their highest selling record, which is still well. Because there were some critics. It was, it was, oh my god! Moving after these two huge successes, and it had two of their high Speed of Sound and Fix You were both huge hits. Like when you look at actual chart positions globally, globally they were two of their most successful songs as far as the charts are concerned. So X and Y is sort of what cemented their reputation. Mm-hmm. Really, unfortunately, very because it is their worst album. And I think this is a perfect time to mention before Viva La Vida came out. Chris Martin did an interview with Rolling Stone where he talked about. You know, they went to Brian Eno and was like, do you have... Because obviously the critical response to X and Y was not great. So they went to Brian Eno and they were like, do you know a producer that can help make us become a better band? And he was like, I'll take a shot. And then... They were like, okay, what should we change about your song, your, our sound? And he was like, your songs are too long. You repeat yourself too much. Your lyrics are bad. Like, <laughs> like just, just laid it out. It was like, you, yes, you have potential, but you need to change a yeah. lot. Yeah, like he... And then they did. Yeah, <laughs> they and did. so we could talk a little bit more about the results of that effort, but the thing is that when there were interviews before Viva La Vida, even Chris Martin said, I promise my lyrics will get better, because I think there was a little bit, he knew what was going on. And listen, as uh, the one thing coming back to this podcast... We know sometimes we spend a lot of time shitting on albums, because let's be real, it's really fun. We have a whole bunch of other ones to get through. I'm in agreement with you, Mitch. There is only one other choice I have, but I'm fine with locking in X and Y at number eight. I think we should talk about the other choice before we do that. What's the other choice? Because for me, it's a very obvious other choice Uh for last place, and it is A Head Full of Dreams. Oh, see, not me. Oh! Ooh! And and, and for me, it's like, I, I say that... Sort of half-heartedly, 
you know, I went back and forth on this one because I think the title track for Head Full of Dreams is like one of my faves, actually. I love the groove. I love the production. Um, but then this album just like never clicks into, I, it's trying to be something so hard that it doesn't read as genuine to me. I think Him for the Weekend is a horrible missed opportunity. I think the the production and the melody are are good enough, but the lyrics are so stupid and you underuse Beyonce. I don't know That's how you have a Beyonce a collab that that makes her so boring. How did you make Beyonce boring? But I haven't read the, to do that. I haven't read the full Bible, so I don't know which part is in there, but you can't do that. You can't <laughs> underuse Beyonce. That's I just also a sin. Think, I also think that Everglow is probably one of my least favorite songs from them. And my other pro- my other big problem with this record is that this is Chris Martin's worst record vocally, in my opinion. Oh. I think there are a lot of times when he's like, well, I'm a huge... Because at this point, he's a pop star. Right. Early albums, sure, they were still making rock. This is a pop record. Yes. 100%. And so he goes up into this, like, tenor range. I feel like he knows exactly the highest note that he can hit without mm-hmm. switching into falsetto. And he uses it a bunch. He does it on Everglow. He does it on Army of One. He does it on Amazing Day. He does it on Up and Up. And every single time I'm like, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Auto-tune can't save that note for you. Not like auto-tune and reverb can't make it sound like you're not trying to push this sound out of your throat with every last ounce of effort you have. And it just sounds like screechy almost. And so that sort of takes away the like joyous feeling that this album should have because I just like, it takes me out of my immersion a little bit. Also on... The Spotify, Army of One and X Marks the Spot are one track, and I hate oh. it because X Marks the Spot is a bad song. It's Kendrick Lamar's Swimming Pools Drank, but Chris Martin singing over it. It's that same exact fucking beat. Which is a problem with this entire fucking album, is the random parts when he's just assigned to rip off another artist suddenly. Because Everglow, that piano way and the weight leads to the chorus, sounds a whole fucking lot like Leanne Womack's I Hope You Dance. Up and Up sounds a whole lot like that one fucking song by that artist who I can't remember right now. But uh, <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, that song. I, the person don't you know that one? Yeah, it kind of sounds like yeah. Up and Up. The Fo- guy and the girl, and then you sing the song. No, okay. Fo- yeah. Phosphorescent is who I'm thinking of. But he oh, has this song, the song, song for Zula. No, but like it's this thing. It kind of has the same kind of like, oh, warped. Totally. Completely. Totally. Like, the thing is, it borrows that exact same... And the thing is, throughout this whole thing, I'm like, well, what are you doing just, like, doing these either direct or indirect rip-offs on here? I definitely think... I, I, Chris Martin, the nicest man in rock, did not rip people off on purpose. I do definitely think it was a parallel thinking. We literally just put out an album last year, so we recorded this very quickly. Mm-hmm. And maybe oh, didn't notice... Oh, I didn't realize how close they were. It's yeah. the closest turnaround of any record they put out. So I think that maybe they didn't notice a couple of the issues. Quality control. Yeah. And that's what I mean about those vocal takes too, is I think even though even though this is a big pop record and like the production is lush and I think the title track and Adventure of a Lifetime are both actually like really solid songs. I like Up and Up too. I don't know. I, I think it's a good closing. <sighs> we are yeah. 
Get together right now. I just, get... I don't need it to be six minutes oh. long. It's I, I, maybe three and a half. Like, the thing but is, like, they really hit on the millennial woe with Viva La Vida, but by the time they get to Head Full of Dreams, it's, like, out of control, the right. sheer amount of weight that they're, like, <laughs> designing songs for that reason. I will say one quick note on here. I will still go X and Y for my lowest spot, just for the reason of... I don't know what sin is worse, having a bad song that is still memorable or a whole album that I basically forget outside of Till Kingdom Come. And Till Kingdom Come, this acoustic Johnny Cash tribute, one of the best songs on there. And it truly is that moment of just like, it cuts through like a knife. It cuts through that production sheen so quickly of like, why wasn't the rest of the album like this? Or at least interspersed with textures that were different from this. And while there's a lot of bad songs in Head Full of Dreams, I will say that. Um, I, we'll see what happens right here, but at the very least, I'm going to go with Mitch. I'm going to go ahead and lock an X and Y in our number eight slot right now. Yeah, I, I support that. Okay, cool. Let's go ahead and just add that in there. Uh, but the thing is, while I, we just are talking about it right here, we're having the discussion. So the question then becomes, uh, at that point, Mitch, what would you want to add to, uh, number seven if you don't think it's head full of dreams? Um... No, I with this discuss this this discussion. Okay, so before I, <laughs> right, I actually had a really hard time figuring out my order. Okay, I mm -hmm. pretty much the only thing I had set in my mind was the worst was X and Y. Okay, okay. So okay. I, on my list, where I have head full of dreams is low, and with this discussion, I will have switched what I had as seven. <laughs> With head full of dreams. Okay, but there's other things you disagree with us. Are there songs that you like on here? I mean, aside from Up and Up, obviously. I mean, I just it's your uh, favorite song of all time. Uh, of all time, no. I it's one. Of, I think they actually do a really good job on ending their albums. I think they do. They kind of nail. I feel like their last songs really well. Um, and I think this kind of has that tradition. Okay. Because I think like everything's not lost is a great Amsterdam is a great way to end uh, Till Kingdom Come is a great ending like so like they kind of have a lot of really good like you, for me it's like you know this is the last uh, song if this was the first time you listened to it like there is that totally it has you get the clue you get the clue, yeah. get the clue. and I, so um, I don't know there's something there's something about it that's why I like it I will say, though, one other cardinal sin on this one here. Uh, Taryn and I are both big fans of the artist Tovlo. And oh, yeah. committing, committing the, the sin, oh, if you're going to bring her on for fun, and you're going to, once again, also, underuse your guest also, artist. Also, oh, my God. If you're going to bring on Tovlo, <laughs> and the song is called Fun, why does it sound like you're cutting yourselves? Yeah. Like, it's it really, it sounds depressing. Yeah. And Tovlo is not a balladeer. No. Like... Tovlo is a sexy slutty bitch, a sexy yeah. slutty bitch, and I don't understand why you didn't. If you were gonna have her do something, why didn't you have her do She's that? She's not the right energy on, or on at her, all. On a big pop album. Yeah, so that's for me. All right, after this, like, head full of dreams. Number seven. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. That is good. So we got X and Y at eight. We got Head Full of Dreams at seven. Great discussion so far. But now I feel like it's the part where the battle lines are gonna start to be drawn. Taryn. What would you nominate in our number six spot? So this is hard for me because I I do honestly believe that the rest of the albums that are left are successful artistic statements. It's just a question of which one is the least successful. I would agree with that. And that being said, while this album really impressed me and surprised me in a lot of ways, I think I have to go with Everyday Life. I really really like everyday life and i want to spend more time with it because it is the least cold play of yes. all of these eight yes. play albums 
and absolutely that I think that's one of its biggest strengths. I think I don't know that Arabesque, for example, would fit on any other record. This big stomping horn number that features Strome singing in French, and then this, it's like the structure of it goes all over the place. Um, and I think they clearly had a lot of they had a lot of statements they wanted to make. Like Trouble in Town, I think is like a really solid. It pays just enough attention to the Black Lives Matter movement to, I think, not be considered... Well, yeah, not be, like, a little eye-rolly as this white band that's like, coming yeah. out of stage. They're like, explaining they're, what it is. Yes. Like, they're not really doing that. It's more like not a like, comment. It's not like Trouble in Town, parentheses, tribute to Eric Garner or anything else. Right, right yes. Yeah. And, but I do think the build on that song is also really, really good. And very, it lines. feels very Radiohead. Mm-hmm. I like that they include these sort of spiritual moments of like broken and when I need a friend um, and also guns is obviously that they're that's making a big statement yeah um, first time you ever swore in a cold place oh that's I know I remember yeah like, listening to it I was like did he just say fuck <laughs> I just ban and rock like and like the, and, the, and the you know here's the thing like the lyrically it's a little bit on the nose of you know this quote declares that we need more guns like okay but at the same time I don't mind the sentiment it's weird because like it feels like a collection of broken ideas it feels just so scattershot but enjoyably so that's well you I, know I, this almost feels like and I hate to make this comparison all the time but it's sort of like white album where it's Okay. It's you know mm-hmm. it, they're they're pulling from a lot of different um, traditions and influences and musical styles yeah. and they're sort of doing a song in each one and I think that's that it that speaks to the title of it mm-hmm. is that they wanted it, they're not just doing everyday life because they're also very much a global band and have been for mm-hmm. you know multiple uh, over a decade by the time this Two album decades. comes out yeah. right. Right. So, you know, and they also, they go on 18-month tours. They they go actually hit every continent. They, they the actually <laughs> tour in mm-hmm. Africa and in India and South America. And South America. Brazil fans. Which a lot, yeah. of, a lot of acts, even at this level, do a Europe tour and a North American tour. And then that's kind of it. And I... And I feel like they wanted to, you know, reflect that th- their experience is more than that. Like with with church, you sort of get that Indian influence, and then um, Echo is actually named after the hometown of the guest vocalist, like where she lived in Africa before she emigrated to the the UK. Um, and yeah, I just think. And then they have the the song with the Persian poem, "Children of Adam." Um, See, yeah. for me, what you're saying is actually making me like the record more. So I, because I have this place a little higher, and for me, like everyday life to kind of go into like what the kids are saying now, it's a vibe. That's the whole. That's what I'm saying. Like there is I, yeah. the whole like because it has this really nice, easy flow to it. Um, like and I really think that like I feel like cry, cry, cry is one that kind of stands out a lot. But like um, I feel like. This is definitely one that's not really trying to have a single on it. Like right. I know they did like have things go out there, but it's more about the collectiveness of, of, of the album itself. So for me, like this is the better version of what I would put at number six, which is Ghost Stories. See, mm. so I think Ghost Stories is the precursor to Everyday Life, with this, which is the more successful version. Because for me, like Ghost Stories kind of just happened. Ghost Stories for me is very sleepy. It's very like. 
every song sounds the same except for all of a sudden a sky full of stars which for me was dun, like dun, dun, which dun, was like dun, dun, maybe dun, the song dun. they were writing to put on head full of dreams but then put it on ghost stories instead because it sounds nothing like the rest of the album and for me like i if you told like i don't i really couldn't tell when one song ended and one song began and so for me oh. that's why i would put ghost stories at six uh instead of everyday life I you're making a good point personally. I feel you on that, and the thing is, in my personal estimation, I would probably put Ghost Stories just a little bit higher than Everyday Life. Because you love Skyfall of Stars. No, actually, I think that the inclusion of Skyfall of Stars is a glaring like it's sticks a out like a sore thumb. That's what I'm saying. Like it doesn't fit. The it doesn't whole fit thing. the the vibe at all, and I and I almost agree with you. I think they should have saved it, except I also think that they wanted to have a hit off this record, so, so they put it on anyway. Yeah, it just doesn't make any but sense. Like, That's why I know. When you're talking about it's a vibe. I mean, this is a vibe too. Ghost, Ghost stories, stories is, is a full fucking, vibe. It's full vibe, and I really, really like that opening salvo of "Always in My Head" and "Magic" and "Ink." I think that's a really strong collection of songs. And then I'm also a John Hopkins fan, and he did the whole instrumental for "Midnight." So, so I just like really, I really, really dig "Midnight." Let me and just always have. let me just say that one of the things that you may not know is that when there was, I remember after Milo Zilodo, "Midnight" appeared kind of out of nowhere as a song, like before it was even even announced the album. And I remember just mm. like hearing it, I'm like, "Holy fuck! What if they become like good? Like it was such a good <laughs> striking. It took me a second to even catch that. I'm just like, this is so dark. This is so interesting. This is so propulsive and fascinating mm -hmm. for what they're trying to do. I'm like, this could be the thing that turns Coldplay around. And then the other songs kind of started coming out. I'm like, oh, it's still kind of the same Coldplay a little bit too. So I will say that ultimately at the end of the day, Ghost Stories is a pleasant experience. I would say Midnight is so far and away one of the best things on here. But even revisiting it this week, always in my head, I pretty much like it. Yeah. Uh, Magic, I understand why it was a bit of a low-key hit, and honestly, Ink did it for me. It really did, with its little fucking just light production about, you know, it, I, it's a little bit cheeky, but, you know, I'll, I'll take a little I bit I think this is their, well, other than Parachutes is really simple since it was the first album, but in comparison to everything after Like, it, musically. It, musically and, and yeah. everything. It it's kind of, definitely it, strips down. it came, yeah, they, for me, just like, per, just my personal preference, it was just, again, a little, just a little too sleepy, didn't have enough like peaks and valleys for me. Mm -hmm. Whereas like everyday life had that flow where sure. you would have those like those more somber, like softer songs, but then you would pick up with something like with like cry right. cry. You know, so it's like so, you'll have so for me, like just sonically and how it flows, that's why I would put ghost stories let me just say this about everyday life though at the very least one of the things that i like about it is that it is so unvarnished it is very much behind the mirror like w-o-t-w slash p-o-t-p women of the world power of the people uh that it feels unfinished and even like in the actual lyric book there's a part where even in the lyrics it says like i haven't finished this yet like and they still put it out anyway and it's one of those things where it's kind of a nice behind the curtain thing just to see them in process of tying all these disparate elements together well and i think that's something that Brian Eno taught them to not be afraid of because we'll talk sure about it later. Afraid on the other albums, but yeah. like Viva La Vida is full of little like two minute Interlude. tacked on them yeah. the end like song snippets, um, and they just in general have a lot of hidden tracks. Um, mm -hmm. So and I so I sort of feel like Everyday Life they were just like well instead of hiding them they just made them part of the track list because. Mm -hmm. It's 16 songs, but 
it's only 52 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's not actually any... It's not that much longer. It's shorter than Rush of Blood and X and Y. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a quote-unquote double album because there are so many of those like one to two minute interludes on it. I will say though, the thing about everyday life is that it is simultaneously a bold step for them and the least Coldplay sounding in a way where like some of these songs are very Coldplay sounding. Orphans, I get it, absolutely. Even oh, though for it's another sure. drunk with Orphans friends. could have been on Head Full of Dreams. Absolutely, completely. But the rest of it, it just feels so disparate. I like that they're pushing in a direction, but it doesn't coalesce around a clear theme or a clear idea or statement. Like it's political lyrics and it's drawing from all these different world themes that I'm not necessarily getting as much of a through line through it. Because by the time they get the fucking champion of the world, which is such an obvious dumb piece of shit pop single. Darren Air, Darren Air, Darren Air. I hate it. Oh, I hate yeah. it so much. But like the thing is so like I appreciate the effort like in it. <laughs> but honestly, and I mean this Okay. Cool. I mean so this truly. Uh, Ghost Stories has a bit more of a through line. I don't necessarily love Ghost Stories, and honestly, the way either of these two albums, if either of these two albums are the next thoughts, I'm going to be pretty happy. So I don't have like a strong thing about it, but I would say Ghost Stories is a more artistically cohesive thing, even though I think Everyday Life, at the end of the day, is a better album, if that makes any sense. You know? Well, if you think Everyday Life, at the end of the day, is a better album, then let's put it higher. Okay. You want to put Ghost Stories think- at number six? Uh, I that that's where I would. Be. An everyday life at five. I'm. Totally, I feel. That I'm feels fine like, with that. That feels about right to me. They honestly. really because, yeah. like you said, they're both a vibe that has its problems. Mm-hmm. You know. So let's just recap for all of our fun little fans at home, guys. Use the hashtag the chartographers to follow along. Uh, number eight <laughs> is X and Y. Number seven is a head full of dreams. Number six is ghost stories. Number five is everyday life, which leaves us with what I think some people might be predicting as the top four: parachutes, a rush of blood to the head, Viva La Vida, or death and all his friends, and Milo Zilodo. And guys, just because I read off those titles and I just said it. It kind of is obvious to me what should be number four. I think we should all say it at the same time, even. That's how confident I am. That's right, okay. guys. Let's do it. In three, two, one. Milo Zylodo. Oh, my God. Holy shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Things just happened. All right. So, um... Let's, uh... I'm let's just kidding. Get, it's oh, my Jesus. <laughs> Don't fuck with me like that, Taryn O'Reilly. God damn it. Milo Zaylodo. Let's talk a little bit about Milo Zaylodo. It's weird because it's kind of positioned as like, it's basically a sequel to Viva La Vida to a degree. I feel like Viva Mm. La Vida is very much kind of like that. When I say sequel, that doesn't mean it's a good sequel. No, but I I don't even think it's a sequel. Okay. I actually think it's kind of talking about, I actually like Milo Zaylodo is kind of like the just like the precursor of what they're trying to what they did with pop era pop era head full of dreams so it's me that's it, yeah. but it's like the better version of it it definitely leans on that whereas i don't i don't see any correlation i definitely those. think milo Zilodo wouldn't have happened without viva la vida true but i do definitely think they're different animals yeah completely yeah i the 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 electronic influences are heavy into synth and drum machines. Yeah, here. well, yeah. in this decade, yeah. they do really. Well, if this is yeah, we had previous conversation about how definitive like 2011 and 2012 is for like pop music right. and sound. That was and well, right, and this album sounds so much <laughs> like 2011. It's got all the. It's got that those deep vocodered chords happening on the um, Hurts Like Heaven. It's got like oh. all the millennial woes. Yeah. It's got tons of like really Whoa. gimme gimme guitar hooks. Whoa. It's got those 
big like EDM synths happening. I do have to say before, like with these last four, and I think this is kind of what we were hitting on with Coldplay, is now like the different sounds. Like each one of these is really definitively like such. I feel like a different like sound of Coldplay because we have with a vibe, a vibe. But like with Milo, like I feel like we have like now we really see kind of those eras of what they were doing and like how they're growing. Um, So this is for me like. I really, again, all I really knew is like my, was like my last, and like the rest were kind of gut feelings mm-hmm. going out the discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but now this is, but really I knew like the top was like going to be the hardest for me to really figure out. And this is like kind of getting to that point. And, but like with Milo, like I, for me, I, I enjoyed pretty much all the songs, but it's just a little mm-hmm. scatterbrain. When you talk about everything is not really as cohesive, it really kind of it felt like maybe they weren't fully going into that pop. So because they weren't like full force on it, like it didn't I, quite... It was supposed I, to be two different albums. Oh. They were making an acoustic album because they had been threatening to make an all acoustic album for so a while. And they started recording that first. And then they also started like a poppy album called Milo Ziloto. Okay. And then has a story, they the realized that some of the songs that they were doing acoustically weren't working. And so they changed them over to the more like fully produced electronic sound. For example, uh, Charlie Brown was originally one of the acoustic ones and then they were like, oh, hold on, no, we need to go all in on yeah. this. So that's sort of why it feels a little, a little dis- disjointed. That, that's, because, it just felt, yeah, just like, I still enjoyed it, but when, listening to like, because multiple times throughout the week, I, I started to hear those like, this quite doesn't mix. Well, you know what? I think the biggest thing about it, though, is that while musically uh, there's a lot of things I really like on here, I like, and the thing is that, and this is true throughout the entire Coldplay discography, whenever they lean a little bit harder to hard rock, it's fun. Because whenever you let Johnny Bucklin out of his cage, when you let him fucking do his guitar shit, it's pretty great. Even if it's a pop guitar thing, like an adventure of a lifetime, it's good. But, like, when he goes a little bit harder, as he does on fucking Major Major Minus! Which is pure Radiohead. It's such a fucking good song. But it's a jam. It is a fucking Jam. Major Minus somehow <laughs> I didn't notice until like yesterday and then I was like wait wait is this incredible it's like it's, it literally doesn't sound like anything else to me it, it, it almost sounds like it belongs on like parachutes or like one of their yeah. pre-debut EPs it could like, it could it easily really, been on Russia Blood honestly totally because yeah. it just it, 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 it kicks in a way that they don't again right really. And, but the thing is, is that I would say with this album, after he really, and I'm going to be honest, it's not perfect, but he really course-corrected on his lyrics for Viva La Vida. I think there's a lot of really great, fascinating lines on Viva La Vida. And on Milo Zilodo, I don't know what the fuck happened where he just kind of lost the goddamn plot. When he has the girl world rhyme scheme of fucking paradise, and also, life goes on, it gets so heavy, the wheel, it breaks the butterfly. I hate that line. Holy shit, dude. The wheel breaks the butterfly. I just... <laughs> That's not a thing. It's it like it. It's just there's that up in flames when this relationship is going up in flames, and you end with the last line of "Well, can you put some water on?" I'm like, come the fuck on! What kind of fucking theater school bullshit are you trying to pull off with your lyric sheet here? And the whole album, it just feels weirdly amateur hour in that way, despite a couple musically very strong moments on there. I just think overall, it looks like the impact is just lost. I also have to talk about Princess of China. Shut up, princess. I. I think Rihanna sings the shit out of this song. I, it sounds so good to me, and I'm like, I'm like a low key Rihanna stan. 
Like, I'm not all in, but, like, she's she is really Future very Future photographer's episode potential. Um, but they talk about, so, whereas they misuse Beyonce. They use Rihanna perfect. perfectly. The other thing about Princess of China, it always has felt like a weird song, right? Yeah. Well, because, honestly, it's just a lot of, uh, so, like, okay. not really much lyrics. Well, Terry, so, like, Terry I actually it. listened to, and I broke down the song structure, because, you know, where we're used to verse, chorus, verse, chorus, mm-hmm. bridge, chorus, right? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a pop song. So this, Princess of China, is instrumental hook, Chris Martin verse. Instrumental hook, Rihanna verse. Chorus one, chorus two, instrumental hook, hook outro wow they never repeat what sounds like the chorus that could have been a princess you'd be a king it only happens once isn't that crazy blowing minds see, left you know, and right see like that way i love it when like musicians mess with form because if that's one and that's one of the reasons why we remember this it's, i feel like this one is like kind of has stayed within pop culture you know like it kind of has that totally like, well so, yeah i mean paradise is Still to this day, one of their biggest hits. I, I like I like Paradise. Well, because it, it reminds you of your favorite reality show of all time, right? Uh, Paradise with Tara Reid. With Tara Reid, her e her e show where she it's her travel show, and I will forever always sing Paradise <laughs> instead of Paradise. It always makes me smile. Yeah. But yeah, so like I yeah I enjoy Milo. It's fun. I like Coldplay when it has life. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, and, and I feel like. For me, this is why I feel like it's placed a little bit more over like everyday life and like ghost stories because they are a little bit too somber just for my taste. Mm-hmm. So when Coldplay's there, like as that band and like big, and because they're known as stadium bands, you mm-hmm. know, like they sell out huge stadiums, which also for me, after listening to all the records, I find kind of interesting since a lot of their sound is very soft and like kind of slower but it's also perfect for a stadium-wide sing-along true like That's, yep. the thing about like the scientist is that it's so slow that you'll never like get the lyrics wrong because you can always like you can take a second and think about what's coming next and you can experience the song and with them coll- collectively yeah. right. as the stadium and then then you feel like you're right there with them on stage. Exactly. Like, but yeah, so I just found that to be really interesting because like, because we're so used to like their singles, most of their singles are, you know, like the big, like that's why like Ghost Stories, like Sky Full of Stars was like the single. So it's like, of course, because it is the one that they can go on stage and have everyone seen. So that's why going through this, I feel like there was a kind of that surprise where it's like, wait, their Coldplay has more texture too than kind of these. Right. Well, and I think that's sounds. also sort of the weakness of some of the the last three albums mm-hmm. that we we've ranked already is because uh, at that point in their career they're leaning into the stadium rock mm-hmm. and it almost does them a disservice. Mm-hmm. Which is why of the four that are left, we're now putting Milo Zyloto here because it's doing the same thing. It's mm-hmm. it's it's starting to lean into this. Oh, white girls love us, and they'll go to our concerts and sing along in the front row. And, and Brazilians. Well, uh, their live album no, is really you're right, good. Actually, you're right. I, no, that, that that wasn't fair. They are beloved everywhere. Yeah, right. but that's sort I know of, what you that mean. millennial yeah, woe yeah. and the like. Coldplay makes uh, me think of UGG boots. I don't know why. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, all I will say <laughs> is that I think Mitch. I think you hit it on the hail. I would say, and this is true in my heart, I wouldn't even call Milo's I Load necessarily a great album, but it is a very enjoyable album. It's very enjoyable. It's fun. You know what it also reminds me of sometimes? It almost feels like a Passion Pit album. Okay. Okay. You know, you know, with the, with the, like, sort of, yeah, and the, the, like, synthy, 
producing mm -hmm. on the vocals, yeah. that sentence was hard for me. But <laughs> yeah, in those moments when they aren't going full acoustic, it sort of feels that like that hyper pop yeah. from that era, you know? Well, I think we're all in agreement, Milo Zaleto at number four. Yeah. I, okay, that's good. Well, now, guys, this is where the shit hits the motherfucking fan. So, uh, friends, I'm going to go ahead and ask oh. it for you. Uh, if you could please do me a favor and let me know, Mitchell, what is, in your estimation, the number three album that should hit this fucking slot? Oh, I feel so much pressure on me right now because these last three... These last three are, are beloved. Are, yeah. They, like, it's the foundation of their legacy, these last three. They have a couple of hit singles. These are the albums of which we know Cold Because each one... I it's a distinct know. identity. Distinct identity. Like maybe like what might put one over the other is maybe just like a song. You know what right? I mean? Like oh, just no, no, one no. song is what makes me have to decide. Rip the band-aid off. Just say it. <sighs> so I, I would say, I would say Viva. That was my number three. That is exactly what I would say as well. Personally, yes. That is what I would say. Uh, Taryn doesn't look like he agrees. We'll get there. Okay. Uh, let's just talk about it real quick though for a little bit. Uh, Viva La Vida was the reboot that they needed after X and Y. It is full of color, it is full of texture, it is full of songs that, for the sake of it, he enjoins them with other songs or other interludes to kind of make them longer, more artistic. As part of the process, they worked with Brian Eno. They broke down other albums that they thought were effective, and one of the big ones was OK Computer by Radiohead. It's not the same sound at all, but just in terms of structure, in terms of how songs well, are laid the out. the song Yes is clearly a... Oh yeah, yes. I remember. Remember because you you mentioned that to like uh, past time we hung out, and I was like, oh, interesting, because I didn't know that fact. And so then going through my listens, and especially when Yes came on, I was like, oh, oh. there's the radio. Because we watched their documentary, uh, they, they talked about dreams, yeah. how they talked about how much radio had like their fans and that influenced them. And um, so this was like, I feel like they were finally like, yes, we could finally use this like, you know, influence to kind of show, like, our version of it. And I think as part of it, too, is in that documentary, they talk about the process of recording X and Y was really hard for them. It wasn't fun for them mm -hmm. at all. It felt very much like a day job of clocking in and clocking out versus having fun. We felt fun. it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It. We as the fans felt it. And so, and so for Viva, it's one of the things where, like, they're recording, they're doing group vocals in different locations. They're trying out all these different things. And, like, even the percussion sounds of Lost on something like that is something that they hadn't really even attempted or tried before. For. There's a lot of very interesting textures. Their first ever transatlantic number one in the form of Viva La Vida. Uh, like, there's just a lot of fun things to be had on here. And the thing is that even if I don't love every single moment of this album, and I will say I don't love every single moment of this album, I can respect the fuck out of it because it feels... It's one of those things where, like, when you certain see certain performers on stage, and, like, even if you don't understand the performance or whatnot, you could tell they're having fun, they're yes. enjoying what they're doing, mm -hmm. and therefore you're a part of it. Mm -hmm. That's what I feel with this album here. Even with even they didn't don't love every song, the fact that they're having fun, the fact that they're creating new different types of art, there is so much more color versus the kind of very monochromatic X and Y. I'm I'm a fan of. I it's not their I would say they're most artistically successful, but I still love the crap out of it. Like I said, I love Coldplay when it has life. Mm -hmm. And this is especially after X and Y. This was like the shot of adrenaline. They're in there, like it starts off like with a bang. Like it's just like you it's like this is like the opposite of X and Y. Like we yeah. are here to show you something completely different and new mm -hmm. and we're excited for you to hear it. Let's you know, because I know like with the um, documentary they showed how they filmed in other locations throughout 
throughout the world, you know? So it's like you saw them, like, explore and, like, try different things, experiment as much as you can as Coldplay, you know? So, like, yeah. um, that's that, that for me, that's why, like, these three, like, with Viva, Russia Blood, and Parachutes are so close to each other, you know? So it's really hard they're for me to pairs. decide. Yeah. Um, but there's just something, like, we'll get to the other ones, but there's just something for me where it just did quite hit me as hard as the first two albums so this is why it kind of lives here in the number, number three, three potentially yeah Taryn what are your thoughts on Viva yeah I mean I absolutely love this album yeah um I had this album in high school and I listened to it to death so I understand I may have nostalgia goggles on for it a little bit but um, Lovers in Japan is my favorite oh my song. god um, it's and especially just for, incredible. Especially for someone like Clocks rewriting it with Speed of Sound, they complete. It's the same thing. It's like an upbeat piano thing, but the toy piano, the texture, the rhythm of it, it's just like now we know how to do this again and right. do it right well, and, and they, make it interesting. They do a lot of great like quiet synth layering in the background yeah. to like fill out the melodics and and when the guitar comes in on the chorus and it just like emphasizes the beat of it even more. I love that part. I just, I don't, I personally don't think there's a weak song on here. I think the weakest oh. parts are, like, the the hidden moments, like Reign of Love and Chinese Sleep Chant. Uh-huh. Um, but, like, the the main track songs are all just fantastic to me. I really like Strawberry Swing. I think I Violet, love Strawberry I think Violet Swing. Hill is, like, not their strongest, but I like it. Yes. And obviously, it's Viva La Vida, one <laughs> of their biggest Christ. hits. Um, and I, uh, speaking of their ending tracks being strong, I think this is, Death and All of His Friends is one of their strongest mm-hmm. to me. Which is why I, I would personally put Rush of Blood below Viva La Vida, because I really, really like all three of these albums a lot. I know that's so. You talk about nostalgic gal- goggles, okay. yeah, goggles. Yeah. So that I was that's something that I was like struggling with coming up with this top three mm-hmm. because Parachutes and Rush of Blood have like honestly like for me definitive albums in me enjoying music. Sure. Right. Um. And so like doing these re-listens, I really listened to each one like eight times. So it's like I really that really helped kind of break out of that nostalgia. Yeah. Um. Especially from also just me because I didn't really know like everyday life or like ghost stories that well. So it was kind of good to like get back mm. into it. But going with those splitting hairs because as much as I do love Rush of Blood and I think it just. I think it is just so impactful. Like, it's songs hit so hard. But there is a song on there that I really just don't like. Which is? And I really don't like A Whisper. Yes. So, in in these cases, because there really isn't a weak song on Viva La Vida, where really I wouldn't, like it is. Right. As much as I just, I mean, to me, there's, like, I feel like Rush of Blood has the most, like, I feel like iconic songs, like quintessential Coldplay. I could put that at three mainly just because of a whisper yeah mainly because i really don't like a whisper fun fact uh and i only found this out later i was just listening to him like i don't remember i was listening to both my spotify and my regular media player at home i'm just like why why don't i have a whisper on there and i just did that thing as a kid that sometimes you did when you would go ahead and when you would rip a cd maybe there's a couple of one or two songs that you would forget which like as you know you don't like and you're like oh i'm I'm not gonna listen to this again which of course later on in life i'm like what a fucking idiot dumb kid me and the thing is I'm just like, why didn't I have a whisper? And listening to it, I can hear exactly what you mean. I'm like, I, I mean, it's not the worst song ever, but I don't love it. And for me, honestly, the title track "Rush of Blood of the Head" doesn't strike me in the same way. It's already, it, that, that's, I think that's the weakest track on, the, on sure. here for me. Yeah. For, is the title track? But 
But, but, let's just talk about this album for a second, because when you open with something as crashing as Politic, you know, it sounds abrasive, but it just develops. As soon as it it's gets perfect. down to that small piano, and it just... Doo, 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 and you're like, I oh have, my god. So here's, oh, then, for me, like, a slight demerit, though, is that I think I really like the song in my place, but it feels sonically weird coming after, right after I think, Politic. I agree. I think and it, it should have been just, later on the album. Because yeah. it just... It just like because because politics is so crashing and then it goes into this like really sweet song. lushly melodic and yeah. it just like so it, I remember as a kid I would my instinct was to skip in my place just because it, it just had such an abrupt change that mm-hmm. it just like it didn't like click with me but like when you get into in my place it's a beautiful song it's a wonderful song I really like I, as a song itself I love it yeah but just its placement is weird so again if we're splitting hairs to like move these top three around yeah. these are my reasoning to have Paul have a rush of blood be at number three instead of Viva yeah I the other thing about rush of blood for me is that even though like clocks and the scientist are still both like two of my favorite Coldplay songs, they're so omnipresent and they've been okay. everywhere for so long uh-huh. that my instinct is to skip them. Even oh. though, even though like the scientist specifically, once I get into it, I'm very glad I'm there. I fucking love that song. Absolutely. You no hear those opening about piano that. chords though. But when, like, when I hear, when I hear, like I literally can't stop the eye roll. Even though it's, I, I do think it's a really good song. It's their signature, but it's just like it's it's it. been used in commercials and it's it. been sampled and it's been covered and it's it like you hear it in the mall. So and it's like, hard for you to kind of go back into that place like way back when when like you heard it for the first time. Exactly. I was enjoying it. So, okay, I got it. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. I will say though, I remember as part of the because I, I was a fan of Parachutes, I had that album initially. I remember reading me and my roommate at the time in college. I think we were reading some of the uh, stuff about Russia Blood coming out, and Chris Martin said that we have a song on there where it's one of the best riffs we've ever written, and it's God put a smile on my face, and he was just so excited about it. Like it is again a little bit Radiohead worship, but in a wonderful way. It's so direct, it's impactful. But my favorite songs on here, if I'm being real. Green eyes and warning sign. I love green eyes. Like it doesn't. It doesn't feel too overt. It's just this lovely little acoustic thing. And the thing is, it, it almost feels a little country western. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It does. He almost puts on like just the, the tiniest little, little tiniest, twang, which yeah. then with the with the Johnny Cash tribute on the next album, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, that makes some sense. And he even said green eyes was kind of done as a also another Johnny Cash tribute even before he passed, just because he loved Johnny Cash so much. Mm. And warning sign is just this simple. It's a song that like would have been a regular album track but it just is so effective there's such a lushness and it's weird how comparing that how sonically i feel it's kind of similar to x and y more than parachutes even but at the same time yeah yeah this is how you diversify your sound this is how you mix things up track to track like it is just so much more of a master class in how to do that and even if i don't love a whisper and a rush of blood to the head i still love amsterdam and for me i love oh my god amsterdam yeah i for me i i kind of like I'm, for me, this is like one of like the best last yeah. songs they have. I just that it's just so hard because I just love this album so much. But I just think there's something actually so exciting about Viva La Vida, especially like I think if you look at the rest of just their albums, like it's kind of a standalone of its own, like right. in it, sonically and in how it sounds. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have it. Like all the others kind of like how you can see the influences in other albums of theirs, like especially later. Whereas like Viva, you still kind of it's its own thing. So, I will say one thing about it, though. Despite the fact that A Whisper and Russia Blood aren't as strong, I would say, I would say the rest of the songs by themselves are so impactful to me. My personal vote 
is Viva at number three and then Rush at number two. That's me. That's just me. Where do you land, Mitch? I'm gonna. I I did not think this was gonna happen, but I would put Rush at three. Yes, that's two. how I feel. Okay, all yeah. right, let's go ahead, let us lock it in. So let's go ahead, let's just briefly talk about it real quick. That is X and Y at number eight. That is ahead. You're literally oh, doing the opposite. I'm doing the opposite doing thing on my rating want. thing. Exactly, Stop my apologies. It. Uh, so the thing, so that is X and Y at number eight. That is a head full of dreams at number seven. That is ghost stories at number six. That is everyday life at number five. That is Milo Zaleto at number four. That is a rush of blood to the head at number three. That is Viva La Vida or Death is All His Friends at number two. Guys, why is Parachute so fucking good. I don't know, man. I don't know what it is about their debut. And the thing is, I honestly think there's just something, I'm not sure if it's them being earnest. I'm not sure if it's them just like that first attempt or whatever, but there is not a weak song on this record. I love every single... Every, even Parachutes is a fucking 42 second little acoustic little interlude works because High Speed is glorious to me. I mean, Don't Panic was incredible, but when the guitars come in on Shiver, like just that... Oh, you mean my favorite song of theirs? Yes. I love Shiver. Yeah. I have always loved Shiver. This is like, again, nostalgia. Like... That it just it was so hard to not have parachutes at one. Shiver is my favorite. I think it just yeah, it's a great because Don't Panic I is a great opening. But then I really like when you go into Shiver, it's like then it really sets the tone for the rest of the album. Mm -hmm. Yes, totally. That's Don't Panic is a, the perfect introduction mm -hmm. because it's also it's nice and short, but it still feels like a fully realized mm -hmm. thought. But then when when Shiver comes in, you you're like, okay, now here we go. Yeah. Um, and then and yeah, I completely agree. It just doesn't let up from there. And this is definitely the album where like I knew Don't Panic, I knew Yellow, and that was really it. Except this again, I was going through and I I could immediately hum all of these songs. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that might be because I heard it a little earlier. But part of that too is just because I think the riffs here. And the the melodic songwriting, and just you can hear. I, I think the four of them really had some chemi like true chemistry with each other as bandmates. Mm -hmm. And because there isn't any of the production woo wah happening, mm -hmm. it's just their instruments and and Chris singing. There's there's something magical here. I mean, he also never sings like this again. Right. He never sings like this again, and it's so strange to me. I think he, there's something. As he goes, and that's again why I I would call them a pop band, even early, is because even by Rush of Blood, and especially X and Y, he's changed the way he's singing to be mm. less rock and be more pop. Mm -hmm. I would also say, though, lyrically, I don't know what fucking thing he was drinking in college that made him do this, but like lyrically, it is so... By the time he gets to Sparks, and it's this lazy jazz line, and it's just so beautiful, mm. and just... Nasa Sparks. Like, it is such a special, impactful, and wonderful moment that I just can't believe that like he wasn't able to catch... Even on Yellow, of just a line of like, You know I bleed myself dry. Like, that is such a striking, incredible line by itself. And I don't feel like throughout the rest of his discography, he had moments, certainly, but just everything lyrically here it was compact it was forceful it was full of just beautiful imagery and metaphor no song overstays its welcome absolutely it's exactly the length it should be yeah it's just it's so simple One, even the five minute songs here absolutely earn their runtime yes whereas i would say even a little bit on rush of blood but especially obviously x and y every fucking song is five minutes and many of them do not need to be. Whereas, like, parachutes, they use every single second of the airtime that they have. 
And see, I liked going from Parachutes to Russia Blood. It was great, like, as a fan of, during that time. It was really cool to hear that growth. Completely. You know, and, totally. like, especially sound and everything. But there is just something so perfect about the simplicity of Parachutes. And just, again, how it just how every song is in the right place. Like, how it just, everything, it's just so well thought out. It's just, it's such a great album. And I Julian, and this is a weird thing to say too, but I really feel like Guy Berryman, the bassist, he shows off more on this album than, than he does it anywhere else. Because even on Shiver, like when they get that, that loud and clear part, like that, and you hear that little doom, 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 like that kind of rising action he does, there's so much more interplay. I feel like he's so much more of an interesting musician on here than he is almost like anywhere else. Well, like, and again though, I think part of that is the production choices that are made later is that, you know, they move so much more in an electronic direction in a in a studio production mm-hmm. direction mm-hmm. that then there's more layers and so the bass doesn't have as much room to or stand impact. out and shine. It's not it's not like up in the mid mix when he's playing the higher up. notes. Yeah, it's, sure as hell isn't <laughs> up and up. Um, like you know, obviously there's still bass on all their songs later, right. but it's not like the prominent feature like it is in a lot of places here. And I, yeah. I also think that this album actually is really timeless. Whereas like Milo, we know exactly when that came out. You know what I mean? Totally, you're like, totally, totally. Like Head Full of Dreams, you know exactly when it came out. This, everything about it, even even with the songwriting and even like that in the production of it, it really it could come out. It could have come out at any time. Right. Well, I mean, then that's. That's sort of the magic of that garage band sound is mm-hmm. that like people will always want to get together with their friends and from college and jam. form a four piece and jam. Like yeah. there's always gonna be that. So there's always gonna be a relevancy for that type of rock in that. Music. But also, I mean, we've heard some of their early EPs too. Like the thing is what They were they, great. Yeah, and the thing is that like they were able to streamline into what they are so specifically on mm-hmm. here. It is a masterpiece. In fact, you know what guys? I'm going to call it right now. Number eight, X and Y. Number seven, Head Full of Dreams. Number six, Ghost Stories. Number five, Everyday Life. Number four, Milo Zeloto. Number three, Russian Blood to the Head. Number two, Viva La Vida or Death and All's Friends. And number one, we all knew it was going to happen, the Kaleidoscope EP. It's so good. Everyone loves every Featuring Big Shot. Featuring Big Shot. It is parachutes, guys. And we'll say, we've had a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. But you know what? We have a lot more to talk about. we got to fucking talk about their worst songs. we got to talk about their Super Bowl. we got to talk about their Chainsmokers collaboration. We don't really but we're going to talk about it anyway. Uh, and that's going to be in a happy hour episode right after this. But in the meantime, though, Mitch, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This was fantastic. I, I wasn't stressing about it, but I was literally like racking my brain. Like, I don't know how I'm going to rate, like literally like the top, like four or five right. albums. And that's, so sometimes we just have to hear each other's opinions on it. And you're like, that makes sense to me. Okay, now we can I need you in. to say, mention... Made it okay for me to not like a whisper to them. Yeah. Does that feel bad that I had a rush of blood at three instead of two? Yeah. That's and that's I totally because I was making my own sort of like pseudo list and I like truly truly after the first two I was like this is all sort of a mishmash but I was really surprised we basically agreed. Yeah. yeah. Overall. I wonder if that's other people's Coldplay's experiences. In fact, I would love to hear from you. Find us on our Facebook. Please let us know. We're on uh, Twitter on The Chartographers if you want to find us that way or send us an email to thechartographers at gmail.com you if you want to really sound up. Leave a comment on SoundCloud. Leave us a, yeah, leave us a five-star review if you agree and if you don't agree, we'll know it's a bad five-star review. So <laughs> just go ahead and let us know about that. Uh, in the meantime though, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, uh, keep on listening because you know that we'll be. Have a good one. See you in the Happy Hour Mini Sub.
Hey, what's up, friends? This is J.W. Basillo. I'm just dropping by to tell you about my brand new radio show premiering April 16th. It's called Busted Mouth. It's a weekly show. It's full of stories, comedy, great interviews, and a ton of really underappreciated rock and roll records. Come hang out with me. It's every Monday at 12 p.m. Central on Q4 Radio, streaming live worldwide at Q4.org or at 1680 a.m. in Chicago. The podcast version of the show is available the following Wednesday almost everywhere podcasts are found. That's Busted Mouth, B-U-S-T-E-D-M-O-U-T-H. I'll see you soon. It's Midday Monday. What else you got to do? Come by. I'll spin some records. We'll have some laughs.